Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, the first of 2019. And I hope you're having a good one. A happy new year to all of you. It's where the Shapers, if you recall, of business join the Shapers of Jazz, Soul and Blues. They come together perfectly, as if we've always, always done this. And indeed, this is year number eight, I believe. My guest today on this very first programme of the year is Alex Perrin, CEO and co-founder of ismybillfair.com a website aiming to highlight the inequality of pricing by big businesses. Alex has spent most of the last 20 years working in commercial and pricing roles at big service businesses, including Virgin Media, British Gas and RAC, quite big, as I said. Then, as he says, the poacher turned gamekeeper, and you'll be hearing all about exactly what that looks like. Alex and his next-door neighbour, now business partner, realised that not only were loyal customers not getting fair deals, so-called price comparison websites weren't working in the interests of most consumers either, because 79% of people would rather get a fairer deal without needing to switch, and that's me included, and I'm sure you as well. IsMyBillFair.com was created to expose and tackle the loyalty penalty in which loyal customers are overcharged for services such as broadband, energy, mobile and breakdown. They support consumers in challenging their providers for a fairer deal in return for staying with them. Thank you so much for joining, and hello. Hello, Elliot. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Tell me, in your own words, uh, and I explained a little earlier what it is, what I think it is, um, what is my bill fair actually doing? What's it about? What need is it filling? So, as you said in the introduction, we exist to tackle the so-called loyalty penalty. What we're really trying to do is ensure that loyal customers of big companies across a range of categories pay fair prices. The site fundamentally does two things. It helps you see whether your price is fair. So we show you how the price that you are paying your broadband provider, for example, compares to what other customers are paying the same provider for the same package. And then if you see you're paying a fair price and getting a good deal, then fantastic, take no action. But if you are overpaying, then, as you also said in in the introduction, people just want to get a fair price. Mm. So most people don't set out to switch. In our research, we saw 79% of people said, I would rather get a fair price for my existing provider rather than having to switch. So we help them challenge that provider to give them a fairer deal for staying with them. It sounds such an obvious idea, and in my experience of obvious ideas, they're the good ones, because I myself will always, at the end of the year, as my insurer says, it's gone up by X percent, I'll say, excuse me, I'm not sure that's fair. But this is much better, because you're basically making it easy for people like me and anyone else to go in there and do it. Where did the idea come from? Was it one of those moments that you had that I just I just expressed here? Yeah, so... Um so my background is I, um, I previously worked in uh, commercial and pricing roles in big businesses. Those businesses and those categories have been disrupted over the last 10, 15, 20 years by, uh, by the emergence of these price comparison sites, which are now absolutely huge businesses in their own right. So. And we've had, we've had a few founders of those businesses, Confused.com, we had Sarah Murray on here many years ago. We've had John Palimelites, who's beatthatquote.com, sold it to Google. Big business has been doing this for years, but carry on. So what they have been doing uh, for years is helping people get a fairer deal by switching. Mm. However, when you look at the stats 
uh, what's actually been happening over many, many years is despite the fact that um, there is now this massive switching industry with all those huge marketing budgets, every time you turn on the TV you see the meerkats or the opera singer, levels of switching just aren't going up. So the big realisation was, hang on a minute, that model of big businesses creating attractive packages to entice people in and switching sites um, supporting that and uh, encouraging people to switch just isn't working for many consumers out there. And in fact, I would argue it's not really working for the telecoms or energy businesses as well. So I thought there has to be a better way. The problem and the fact that this model just wasn't working across the board uh, was in my mind for a long time. And then uh, the idea just came to me and I thought I have to go for it. Let me go back a little bit. Um, I know you went to Liverpool University. I know you graduated in an excellent year to graduate. And that's 1993, the same year as me. Um, and then you went into, you did all sorts of stuff. Now, I, I don't need you to kind of plot every single thing that you did, but corporate life for you, you obviously enjoyed it, Alex, because you did it for two decades. What was it about corporate life that you really liked? And why were you happy to say goodbye to it? Part two of my question after 20 years. Crikey. So, yes, I did work for some big businesses. You know, I enjoyed being there in a big company, understanding how it all worked. I think in a big business, it's um, it's quite easy to get involved in something which you then see out there on an advert or on a billboard. And you can say to your friends or your mum, that's what I've been doing. Uh and um, and of course, uh, as long as you are, as long as your project gets funded or whatever, then there are unlimited resources. And in fact, it's only now that I've become an entrepreneur and started my own small business that I realise how much I took for granted and mm. how there is no one to come and fix that dripping tap in the kitchen. <laughs> or, so or, or when your phone doesn't work, or, or when your phone doesn't work, or your yeah. laptop, or yeah. whatever it might be. But but the uh, but the things that you liked, I imagine security would be one. That the fact you're going to get your paycheck at the end of the month. Was there something nice about corporate culture as well for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, so I started off. Uh, I had I had quite a transition in my career. So I started off in container shipping and um, and worked in that world for a few years. Uh, and then um, after a while, I joined BA and I joined the cargo division of BA, but then moved into the marketing team. You're like my mother-in-law. She likes boxes. Everything's in a box. I mean, I'm not Good. joking, Conta <laughs> big containers, and then inside the big containers, a little container. But was there, I mean, joking aside, the yeah. cargo piece obviously related to uh, the, the first part of your career. Yeah. Uh, is there something about that world which you found fascinating, or did you just find yourself in it? No, I, um, I, I just stumbled into it, and, I, and to be completely honest, I, uh, I saw an advert for a graduate training scheme for a shipping company which said, Join this company, and you will spend some time working out in the Caribbean. So, uh, so you thought, oh, so I that did sounds that. good. Yeah, I did that, and uh, and it's been downhill since then. So, and then, so from BA, you yeah. then went 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 into where? Yeah. So uh, so at BA, I made the transition from the cargo division into the passenger marketing team, and I think I. Uh, what I wanted to do was to uh, work in a consumer business. I'm I'm interested in how consumers think and feel, um, and I wanted to get close to that. So that's that. Uh, being in a business the size of BA afforded me the opportunity to make that kind of transition, and then, and then since then um, I uh, I moved to REC, then British Gas, then Virgin Media. So and pricing all service business and pricing is a part of what you did. Yeah, I think I've always been quite analytical um, and uh, and enjoyed enjoyed that mathematical challenge yeah. of working in that kind of team and also product development. So working out who the audience are, what you're going to develop uh, to meet their needs, and how to price it, I think is quite a nice round challenge. So. Mm. 
Um, so I spent many years doing that across a range of uh, categories, and so I that did all really sounds enjoy it. and that sounds fun. Obviously, uh, decent, you know, n- nice as I as I mentioned that that safety of a big company and as you said, resources. So you now have the idea. I'm going to jump you back into that moment when the idea comes. It yeah. starts to percolate, starts to ferment a little bit. And then at some point you say, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Do you remember where where you were, who you were with when you actually said, you know what, we're gonna, um, this is happening? So I remember exactly uh, that moment when I made the commitment because I was sitting at my kitchen table with my next door neighbour, Graham, who is now our uh, CTO. Graham had just left the business that he'd been at for 20 years uh, and he was deciding what to do with his life. And I, then, and I was chatting to him and saying, look, well, I've had this idea... Um, you know, I, I see this massive price comparison industry and I think they're missing the point and, uh, and failing to deliver what people want, which is a fairer deal for staying. And so I think it was one part just fortuitous that uh, Graham was at that stage in his life, one part that I'd had the right idea and then probably one part midlife crisis. And I thought, crikey, I'm in my mid-40s. If I don't give this a go now, I never will. So, so yeah, we jumped in, we, we shook hands there and then and... Uh, handed my notice in and uh, we started making plans. Stay with me to find out much more about how those plans have evolved in a very fast uh, space of time actually. That's Alex Perrin, he's my business shaper, CEO and co-founder of ismybillfair.com. Lots more coming up from him in a few minutes but before that some words of advice from our programme partners at Mishkondorea for your business. I'm Daniel Farrandheim, an associate in the planning group at Mishkondorea, part of the wider real estate department. You may find as a, uh, as a business or as a small business or if your business grows that um, you're having problems finding accommodation. This may be partly in due to the fact that permission has been given nationwide with a few minor exceptions uh, to allow officers to be converted to residential. An awful lot of office stock, therefore, is being converted to much more valuable uses for owners. That causes big problems for those who want to occupy small Units because those are the ones that are clear targets for the exercise of this right. There is some hope on the horizon, however. Uh, we've been engaged with a few clients uh, on large mixed-use development schemes who have either offered or have been asked to provide starter units for commercial occupiers, um, be they tech startup industries or, or just small office or retail units. This is almost the equivalent of affordable housing for the residential sphere, where uh, in granting permission for housing development, a local authority might insist that some of those are made available to uh, those who can't afford to occupy it on the open market. A similar sort of concept of affordable commercial units is gaining more ground and is worth investigating. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all of our former jazz shapers and 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 and 18 are are all in there. You can ask Alexa if you'd like to to play jazz shapers and there you can hear many of the recent ones or if you pop jazz shapers into iTunes or your own preferred podcast platform as they call them you can enjoy the full archive. But today right here right now, beginning of January 2019, I have Alex Perrin, CEO and co-founder of ismybillfair.com and we were talking about your move from the world of boxes as I said, my mother-in-law loves boxes. I've said it again now, I'm definitely in trouble. Um, and then movement towards people and pricing and product. And then that moment where you sat with your um, neighbour, who luckily, you know, not that there's anything wrong with gardeners, wasn't a gardener because CTOs need to be good at, you know, the technology thing. So you made that commitment, and I like that phrase. The vibe between the two of you, you said you shook hands. 
Were you sure that was right? Was there any doubt or was there loads of doubt, but it was kind of exhilarating? Uh, I think there was, uh, there was no doubt that it w- there was. There was clearly doubt as to whether we were going to get this thing off the ground and whether we could get people to come to the site and whether it would work. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's still really early days for is my Bill Fair. We're only just going big now. Mm. But I think there was, I, I felt no doubt that it was the right thing to give it a go. As I said, uh, if I if I didn't back this idea now, then um, I would I would never uh, I'd probably never get out of that corporate world. So and what was it like resigning and knowing that you were saying goodbye to that kind of world? Uh, it felt fine. I, th- I thought I think I'd made the right decision. I went in and spoke to my boss. He wished me luck. I think he admired the fact I was going on to do something like this as opposed mm. to just moving to another corporate role in a competitor or something like that. So. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been uh, an enjoyable time, and I've I've learned such a huge amount. Well, the first uh, thing you guys did, I mean, that's what I want to ask you. The very first thing that you and Graham, your partner, did was what? The very first thing we did was uh, decide that we couldn't just sit in my kitchen, uh, and we needed to find somewhere to <laughs> to work. So, uh, in classic startup style, we um, we then quickly remembered that uh, he knows somebody who owns a bar with a function room that's generally empty Monday to Friday daytime. So uh, we went and uh, did a deal to, to work out of there. So that was, our, that was our office for the first six months. And then I think the best thing we did was, rather than just jumping straight in and starting building a website, we took the time to research this properly. Uh, we took the time to map out what the customer experience should be, research which products our model was right for, in fact, I think it's right for practically every single service product for which you as a consumer pay by direct debit. Mm. And then we started building. And it's just been the two of you? We've grown a little bit. We've had another um, five or six people join along the way. But our model is to to keep the team really lean mm. and then where we can outsource to experts. So we've got some agencies helping us with some of the marketing. We've had some outside people do some of the coding and building and developing but yeah, Graham and I have stayed at the core of it, and then we've added a few more people as we've gone along. And investment, have you had investment, or are you still, you guys, the 100% equity people? So we had an initial round of investment at the start of 2018, hmm. um, which helped us get the site live and bring the first users to the site, and really saw us through that initial phase of learning, developing, tweaking, and refining, you know, we're constantly debating when we should go for the next investment round and so on. So deciding how quickly to grow Mm. and how quickly to scale is something that we've been wrestling with ever since day one, really. And that can't be easy because kind of how do you do it? You're, You're basing it on some quantitative numbers that you may reach, but you may not. And then there's a speed question and then there's the cost of the investment. And I mean, things that are sort of imponderables. Yeah. And despite many years in big business, having investment conversations was something I'd I'd never been near or never had to do. So we were lucky in that we knew uh, we had personal friends who had uh, been through this, who had started their own businesses and who were able to guide us through the process and also make some introductions. So we had some useful introductions up front. We got introduced to a chap called Peter Scott, who is now our chairman, and Peter's been an enormous help uh, in all that process as well. Founder of WCRC Ad Agency and has been on this very programme. Stay with me for more from Alex Perrin as we explore what it's like to start a business up and relatively recently, but also to grow awareness super fast. And we're going to actually touch on a very topical thing, which is uh, a, an issue raised by the Citizens Advice very, very recently. Time for some music right now, though. Earth, Wind and Fire with That's the Way of the World.
That was Earth, Wind & Fire with That's the Way of the World. I'm talking to Alex Perrin. We're talking about uh, the movement from the corporate to the private world, the movement from uh, the kitchen table to a room, a function room in a bar, um, and a commitment, which you talked about, and then the research that goes into it uh, in terms of getting something off the ground. You need a bit of luck in business as well, a lot of luck. And people I meet, are um, they work hard, and they seem to also bump into luck. A lot of the people obviously I meet in here have all done very, very well. Your bit of luck is that it sounds like this is the moment for your business because there is a furore around the notion of being charged too much. And indeed, I think you've been aiding the Competition and Markets Authority in its investigation into what is called the loyalty penalty super complaint. And there's a publication that that popped out very recently. Tell me a little bit about that and just how lucky you feel that that happened without, I mean, that's not not lucky for consumers, but for, for the nature of your business. So firstly, you know, what the super complaint is, well, Citizens Advice raised this super complaint at the end of September and they called it the loyalty penalty super complaint. Fundamentally, they say that um, we can't continue with this situation in which loyal customers of broadband companies, insurance companies, mobile businesses, etc., end up being charged so much more than the much lower prices paid by new joiners. And the super complaint stated that despite many, many years of switching being pushed as the remedy, it just hasn't worked for people. And what's now needed is a solution which enables or results at least in loyal customers getting a fairer deal. Was it luck? Well, in many ways, we'd we'd already spotted that as the issue and had set out to solve it. I think what it has done though is um, it's brought this to the forefront of the news agenda and it's really top of mind now. So we clearly set out, as is my bill fair, before the super complaint was even raised to build a solution. But it's great now that uh, that there is so much publicity um, mm. um, arising from this. That That is helping us bring more traffic to the site, which means that we're there to help more of those loyal customers get a fairer deal. Have some of the big energy companies and, and broadband companies and so forth come to you and talk to you about what they're doing? And if so... How have those conversations gone? We were talking to them anyway before the super complaint, but what is very clear is that this super complaint um, has now highlighted the issue in a way which means that it has to be dealt with. Mm. So yes, that has helped us have the right conversations with the right people because we are a uh, a ready-made solution. The other thing that we've been doing is working with the CMA themselves on the initial stages of their report and, and also talking directly with Citizens Advice. Now, Citizens Advice have have stated to me that they always thought that the issue was even bigger than they had stated. They calculated it as being a a, a total overcharge of £4.1 billion Mm. across five products. What we've been able to do is use the data from users of our site uh, to to dig into that in in much more granular detail and calculate the true extent of the loyalty penalty. And what is it? We think it runs into tens of billions and counting. So for broadband alone, the total overcharge, as as defined by Citizens Advice, comes to four billion pounds. So they had four point one across five categories. We're seeing we're category. seeing four billion across one of those five in one of those five categories. Across the four categories of broadband, mobile, car breakdown and energy, and energy yeah. we've calculated this as being about nine and a half. So if you were then to add back in Savings and mortgages and home insurance, which were part of the initial super complaint, which we don't yet cover. And then you think about categories like like car insurance Mm. and even things like gym membership. 
this will run into tens and tens of of billions of pounds. Do do you see yourself, I mean, um, as the crusader now, uh, as much as there's a... And I I want to understand the commercial model as well. Is it that when someone gets the price with you that you somehow or other have a a percentage of the saving that they've made? Is that how it works? Yeah, so we we have um, three revenue streams. Um, The first is... um, the, uh, the the most well-known, which is that if people don't want to stay and they do want to switch, then we can help them switch, and we make some money from that in the same way as yep. any other switch site. Mm. The second, which we haven't actually switched on yet, is advertising on the site. Okay. And the third, which we are, we've, we've only just switched on um, since the start of this year, mm. is we do charge these existing businesses to retain their customers through our stay model so if we challenge a business and we say look we've got a hundred customers of yours who don't want to switch they want a fairer deal then we make a charge as we pass those hundred records through to that business in order that we cover the cost of operating Hmm. but the crucial thing there is that if we didn't exist and you know the situation for the last 20 years has been that those hundred disgruntled customers have got nowhere to go other than to switch Hmm. If those customers switch away, they need replacing, and the average cost of a replacement in these service industries can be well over £100, sometimes over £200. So that means that these service businesses are spending hundreds of millions of pounds each year to stand still. They're paying to replace customers who are switching. Our entire business model is about saying, well, look, that's not working for you as a business. It's not really working for the consumer either. What we're about is coming up with a solution that works for both. So we are very consciously undercutting switching with staying, which we think is a win-win for the consumer and for the service business. So, um, so yes, we um, yes, that's a revenue stream for us. But our commitment to them is that we need to do that at a fraction of the cost, mm. um, at less than 10% on of a unit basis of what they're having to pay. Yeah. yeah, and an acquisition is actually a replacement. Yeah. These, are, these are saturated markets. It's a massive game of musical chairs. So we're setting out to, um, to help offset that enormous existing cost with a much lower cost, which we think is good business all around. We'll have our final chat with my guest, Alex Perrin. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Van Morrison and Joey DeFrancesco. That's in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Van Morrison and Joey DeFrancesco with your Driving Me Crazy. Alex Perrin is my business shaper just for a few more minutes and we've been talking about um, companies that are not playing nicely with their loyal customers and, and how it's actually more expensive for those companies themselves to go and find new people when their current ones who are slightly disillusioned with the fact they're not getting a good deal leave. And that sounds a smart thing. So you're relatively, it's relatively early days for the business and you've talked about, we've, we've touched on the excitement of the idea and moving away from the old world. Have there been times even in these early months where you've gone, eesh, I'm not sure about this or have you been totally convinced that this is the right path for you? Probably a bit of both. So there have definitely been times where um, I've, uh, I've, I've questioned, did I make the right move? And, uh, you know, this is, this is turning out to be much harder than I thought. And I think I probably underestimated all of the other functions that I just took for granted in in the big businesses I had worked in. So, you know, we for months and months and months, we didn't have a qualified accountant. I was 
I was having to build all the Excel models and um, make sure that they matched the cash in and out of the bank account. Um, I was the one having to deal with the um, external legal firms, nice people that they are, and uh, and so on. So it's, um, you know, there have been some really difficult times. Mm. But fundamentally, I think as soon as we put the site live and we started getting consumers through the site, I thought we are doing something here that people find useful mm. and that has a mass audience. And I think if you build an online business which does something useful for a mass audience, then there has to be a way to make that work. Mm. So, you know, it's, as I said, it is early days. We're still playing with that blend of revenue models. We're not actually making any money yet. Oh, that's but I think we have a so fashionable. It we, is. Indeed. You don't want to make money, Alex, for at least ten years, and then you, we get in a very like many guests I've spoken to. They're, oh no, no, no. We, we Facebook didn't make money for fifteen years, so keep going. You're doing well. Four, Fourteen Good. years to go. Well, I'm hoping that our investors are listening to, <laughs> to your wise words. There. They know. They know. It's a patient capital game. That's yeah. what, that's what that's what people say. But in terms of the support you've had emotionally, you mentioned your your family. Has that been? Has your your wife been very supportive? Has she been someone that you've gone without her? That this would have been really impossible. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think she was um, she was supportive. She also, you know, I, I lived down in Winchester, um, travelling up to London um, each day. I was finding increasingly difficult. I've got two children, wasn't seeing as much of them. So I think I've definitely had a better work life balance. But also, I think you know, it's it's been great having her around, and I know that um, Graham. Um, would say the same about the support he's had from his wife and, mm. and family and friends, etc. So um, you you do need that because, you know, starting off any business, um, the one thing you can guarantee is there will be some hurdles or obstacles mm. that you, you hadn't even considered. And you touched on Peter Scott, who's the, the chairman, and as I said, previous guest here on, on Jazz Shapers. Um, important that you have someone, I imagine, who's... Uh, got more experience more wisdom and is going to challenge you I mean that's a really critical role isn't it I imagine definitely yeah I, I've got a huge respect for Peter he's he's obviously been through this before he's built businesses from nothing he knows how to find and then deal with uh, investors so yeah it's been it's been good having him on board yes he is challenging but uh, but in a really positive way and I imagine that there's no one silver bullet of the within the advice he gives it's more generally that you know you're going to have a proper conversation about the issue. Definitely, definitely. It's been really nice talking to you, Alex. Really good luck. This is a big year for you. In 2019, I think, will be the time when we all get much more conscious about just how easy it is to call and hold our, our companies that, 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 that give us different services to account, and that must be right. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So my song choice is Brand New Love by Grupo X. I think this is a fantastic track. Um, it's written by Johnny Enright, who is my oldest friend. Johnny and I grew up uh, in Yorkshire many years ago, and then when I first moved to London, it seems that every Saturday night he was playing live with this band at the Jazz Cafe in Camden. So we, we have, I have many happy memories of watching him up on stage playing this track. That was Brand New Love by Grupo X, the song choice of my business shaper today, Alex Perrin. I loved it when he talked about making the commitment, and you've got to do that. He talked about the importance of research before jumping in, and we've heard that before. And finally, the importance of support, whether that's your family, whether that's your friends, or whether that's a chair with a lot of wisdom on his or her side. All really, really good advice. 
That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a fantastic weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.